Hey folks, it's Tomo, Sean, and Andrew from What's Going On Here. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Or wherever you stream your favorite podcast. Thanks for tuning in. to another episode of what's going on here yes we're on screen again it's the COVID edition we are high tech and very slick and my name is Tomo Lovrick. as always I'm here to 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 lead the ship down the path of glory and insanity and I'm also known as T-Love in cranberry picking circles for those of you that don't know um, and with me, as always, I have the sleek, aerodynamic young man known as the ex-electrician. Um, he is a Lord Marshal. He is a chancellor. He is a singer. He is a musician. He is a dog wrangler, a stand-up comedian, an overall happy underwear-wearing guy, Mr. Sean Quigley, a.k.a. the Quig, as he is known in Siegel Research Circles. Uh, Mr. Quigley, how are you? Good. Um, although technically, at least as of Monday, I am an ex Lord Marshal, Lord Chancellor. As as far as I'm aware, there will be no Lord Chancellors or Lord Marshals in North America anymore. They're all gone. They've all been fired. Okay. Every single one of them. <laughs> I was going to say they're all like laid off, but like the company didn't shutter, did it? No, but. I don't know. We'll right. see. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Times are rough. Times are rough. Um, I'll talk to you guys something about about something uh, offline later. Anyway, uh, and then with us, as always, we have the face man of this uh, B team, if you will. We're not quite the A team. We're the B team. We have the face man with us. He's handsome. He's uh, versatile. He's kind of a whiz kid when it comes to marketing and peeing. That's why he's a whiz kid. And he also goes by the name of Andrew Albages or AA as he's known in piano tuning circles. Andrew, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Yeah. Excited to dive into another episode. I, uh, I, since we're throwing these on YouTube now, I, I, if anyone who's watched the, the first, the, the best of tournaments, which were the first recordings we did that we threw on YouTube, I've, I've slightly restructured my seating to to make a more pleasing background um i took a, took a cue from sean who yes you know, sean, 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 i think it looks like you switched your background a little bit there i too. totally switched my background i went to the patio doors because i was on the couch last week in the living room mm -hmm. and that's because of the angle because it was just kind of like on a side table i was giving everybody like the money shot of my nostrils for you know two plus hours so i was like maybe i shouldn't be doing that so you know, a little more like height-wise, get the right thing in there. So, but yeah, right. I've just I've just moved backwards so yes. that you can't see the mess that is everywhere else in my apartment, and you just see a little bit of bookshelf with some nerdy things and my beautiful artwork here. Dude, and therefore, was... it looks like a, a classy and fun 
and sophisticated location. I was a big fan of the stormtroopers in the back. Very, very, uh, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, Andy, um, Dick. <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> Thank you, man. Let's sure. go with that. <laughs> well, folks, for those of you that don't know, what we do on our show is we tap into the popular zeitgeist. We try to figure out what's going on. We pick a subject, and then we just analyze it, break it down. We mash it in a, in a crucible of ideas and analyses, and we then explore what's going on here with said subject. Now, the other part of our show is we review drinks. That's usually the number one thing of the show. So before I get to the drinks, what we're doing today, speaking of popular zeitgeist, because it's just everywhere, we are going to review the Tiger King documentary from Netflix. If you haven't seen this yet, you should see it because it is batshit crazy. If you took any of that and went to a studio and said, I want to do a movie about this and this is what happens, you would probably get laughed right out of the office because everyone would be like, no, that doesn't happen. You Too over the top. It's too, it's too over the top. Exactly. It's like you're just being schlocky now. But it did happen, so that's what we're doing. Now, because of COVID-19 and, and everybody's sequestered and we're all trying to do our part to, like, not intermingle and not and try to contain this thing, we are doing different drinks um, today. We're all mixed our own drinks. So we're going to tell everybody what we made, how we made it, or just what we made at first. And then maybe we can, if you guys send me the recipes, I'll make put it in the cocktail corner so everybody can see how these drinks are being made. Tell us what you're using. And I know Sean is just dying to tell us what he's using. So I'll, with, with that, I will go to Mr. Quigley. Mr. Quigley, what is your drink for today? Can you share with the audience, please? Okay, well, I haven't finished it yet. I'm going to do that on screen, finish it for you. Add the Pierre Stella Resistance. The, okay. I'll show you what I have so far. Uh -huh. So far, I have this glass here. Ooh. It's very cloudy. Oh, uh, yeah. Because it's, it's glass of, it's like a double, maybe double and a half of gin. Ooh, okay. And ice. And then also uh, some a tasty amount of organic volcanic lime burst organic lime juice. Ooh. I did ask my wonderful wife to pick up limes when we went for our semi-annual uh, grocery shop. And uh, she got me lime juice, which is not what I asked for, but will do. Um, so there we are. Uh, uh, it's very important when you're making this drink, use only the best quality gin, okay. which is why I'm drinking Traveler's Club. <laughs> <laughs> which is bottled out of um, Oak Park Distillery, which is Baltimore, Maryland. Okay, Traveler's Club. I've never even heard of Traveler's <laughs> Club gin. That's the best, the best part of it is <laughs> plastic bottle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's 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 impressive and what what are you does this couple you're making have a name or are you going to name it on the show it's a very simple name and it's what goes into it gin and soda gin uh-huh and tab oh no no don't do that i've had that before <laughs> oh, oh no <laughs> 
First of all, where the fuck did you find a tab? <laughs> oh my god! You can get you can get a, if you can get a tiger, you can get a tab. <laughs> That's the commercial. Nice. Hey, like I'm gay as shit. <laughs> if you can get a tiger, you can get a tab. Tab and gin. That's like a Homer Simpson Barney last desperate move drink. I like it. I really like it. Okay, uh, Andrew, why don't you go? I'll, uh, w tell us, tell us what your drink is. I know you got the you got the flannel to represent. Got a little redneck look to to hopefully nice. match with the theme today. Sure, um, sure. My drink, my drink for this evening is uh, something that is honestly my drink of choice most of the time. Okay. Um, for anyone at home that's interested in trying this and thinks you know I'm not good at mixing cocktails or doing all of that, well, have no fear. Okay. Um, I'm drinking Wild Turkey 101, which is uh, which Wild Turkey gets a lot of crap. Um, yeah. But people that know their bourbon, Wild Turkey for the money is a pretty good bourbon. You'll see here actually because we're in the end times. Um, I actually have a a very large. This is a 1.75 liter as opposed yeah, to your traditional. That's you know you are playing. You guys are. As opposed to your, you know, traditional one liter or something, I, it got a little extra, so I don't have to go out too often. Sure. Um, and to sure. make to make this cocktail as I have made it, um, you can use ice. You can use no ice. You can okay. use a splash of water. Mm -hmm. You can do whatever you want, and all you do is add the wild turkey. You'll see. Okay. I added. Um, it's starting to melt a little bit because I did this just before we started recording. But a nice square ice cube i like a nice big ice cube because it doesn't oh, melt nice. too much but it nice. keeps your drink cold nice. um, and yes like i said you add the wild turkey to it and there you go wow that's excellent that's excellent well i used uh, a, a friend gifted me uh alex alex cologne uh christmas time uh, jameson black barrel whiskey so this was a christmas gift and i know uh, the various mixologists are going to shit on me because technically for my co I made a cocktail. It's supposed to be rye whiskey, uh, which mm -hmm. I didn't have any, and I couldn't even tell you what's a good rye whiskey because I've never had rye whiskey before. At least I don't think so. Um, but I went because of our vicinity and where we often work and hang out and do stuff. I made a Manhattan, which is two ounces of whiskey, an ounce of Italian vermouth, and two dashes of Angostura bitters. And they say to put a cherry to garnish it, but I took three frozen cranberries and put them on a bamboo skewer stick. And that's my cocktail, ladies and gentlemen, right there. All right. So, that's quarantine if ever I saw one. Well, I'm going to make a Boulevard Deer. <laughs> we go, if, if we end up going like two episodes for this, I'm going to make of our deer, which is basically a Negroni with whiskey instead of gin. Oh. So there we go. That's that. So, all right, well, let's do what we always do, gents, and uh, cheers first and taste our drinks and see. I cheers. Waiting for Sean's expression. Cheers, gentlemen. Oh, wow. It's a spot every time. Wow. Gents, 
Next time we're together, I'm making us some freaking Manhattans like this. This With is Jameson. So good. So, and the bitters and the cranberry is like because they were frozen. So I skewered them and they've been in the drink and they're kind of like a little bit of cranberry flavors getting in there. This is something. You should come up with a different name for that or like a Manhattan something, Manhattan COVID edition or like give it its own. Oh, it's it, it's 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 yeah, maybe a, a Manhattan neighborhood. A Washington. Yeah. Oh, that could be good. Or like Murray that. Hill. Ooh, Murray Hill. Why don't I call it a Murray Hill? There we go. That's a Murray Hill, gentlemen, right there. Wow. Just like that, we invented a drink. Just like that, we invented we invented whiskey and and and, and cranberries. Yeah, and cranberries. Your version of Manhattan is going to be very popular amongst sufferers of cystitis. I'd have to imagine cranberries. It's uh, antioxidant cures uh, cystitis. Home remedy. For those listeners, you may have burning pee. <laughs> okay, now that we've settled the burning pee, then all you need to do is pick up a bottle of Traveler's Club. <laughs> How is it, Sean? <laughs> it takes me back to the days of when I was 14, I used to host a drinking club out of my parents' backyard. As uh -huh. background, so they didn't know what I was doing. And what we used to do is we all used to get, used to pick a bottle out of the back of our parents' liquor cabinet that they wouldn't <laughs> notice was missing. And we would take like, you know, like maybe like that much of yeah. the liquor and put it in like a plastic water bottle. And then we'd all get together and then we would combine all of those liquors into one big <laughs> jug of alcohol and that will be our drink um and it doesn't taste too dissimilar no, no it doesn't i'll i have a similar story in college of course you're broke there's not a lot of money there was a local liquor store called mab liquors and i've talked about this before on the show i'm sure in an episode or two but the local liquor store, Mab Liquors, M-A-B, had its own brand of gin and vodka. And of course, you're on a college budget, so you're broke. And a 1.75 liter bottle of the gin or vodka was $5.99. $7.79, one of those two. That shouldn't even be legal. <laughs> right, exactly. It was literally like an $8 bottle. Like the bottle you have, uh, Andrew, of to Wild Turkey, was $8. Oh, my God. And so we were trying to mix it. So it, the gin was the most god awful thing I have ever tasted. Like the vodka, <laughs> sort of. The gin was. This was the. I, my guess is the herbals uh, uh, that were in the, this gin. You know, were probably toe clippings or something. This was just the worst thing I had ever tasted. And then one of the guys who was just very much trying to just get hammered all the time. He was like, oh, I want to drink this gin. And it was just like, it's awful. Like, we left it alone. And then a week later, we had a party. He's like, no, 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 I'm going to make, mix it. And he mixed it with lemon-lime Gatorade. <laughs> and he gave it to me. And I tasted it because, you know, 19 and stupid. And I tasted it. And I was like, this is literally 
the worst thing. Like I almost threw up right on the spot because it tasted all I could think of. I got a memory of being a little kid and all I could think of was a Tonka truck, a little plastic Tonka truck that somebody melted and put it in this glass and had me drink it. That's what it tasted like to me. It was the most God awful thing I had ever tried in my life. It's so specific. A Tonka truck. A Tonka truck. That's what it tastes. Sorry, Tonka. I'm not saying your trucks are bad. I'm just saying they don't taste so good in a drink. That's all. Have you, in your childhood, did you have experiences tasting Tonka trucks? That it. Well, yeah, sure. You're a kid. You stick trucks in your mouth, you know. <laughs> that's the least of the worries about sticking in your mouth. I mean, trucks, I mean, whatever. That's easy. It's the other things you got to worry about. So, all right. So, anyway. So, let's dive into, since we have our cocktails, Let's dive into the Tire King and the fucking crazy that is this documentary. What do we say, huh? Wow. Right. I mean, for those people who have not seen the Tiger King, the intro, the, just the credits in the first episode, there was enough in the credits that I think we could do a whole episode on. Yeah. When they were just showing snippets of the whole seven-episode show. Because they showed... Joe Exotic with the thing. They showed the tigers. They showed when the tiger grabbed him by the leg and yanked him. Through. It was almost too much for me to watch. I was like, what, what is happening right now? And that was just the credits. And then it started, and it's a little fuzzy now. Did it start with Joe right away, or did it start with uh, Carol Baskin? Didn't it, did it start with I believe Joe? it starts with Joe. It started with Joe? I think so. Okay, well, to, to, to break it down, Joe Schreibvogel, which for whatever reason, some, for some reason in Oklahoma, no one can say the name, and he decided to name himself Joe Exotic. He is a gay man from Oklahoma who is a gun-toting guy that blows shit up all the time because he gets the, the, the gunpowder from the gun store, and he's got M16s and whatever, all the Rugers and, and Colts and everything around the place. Somewhere in his development, and this was, this was the interesting part that I thought, like, where, where they uh, 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 delved into him as a, as a person. He talked about being gay in Oklahoma, so it's got to be tough, right? And um, he said, talked about his father shaking his hand in front of his mother and making him promise in front of his mother that he will not come to his father's funeral. Yeah. So right off the bat, you're like, okay. There's just months of therapy right there. Uh, just like, I just, how do you get over something like that? So he, I think he was in, was he in an accident of some sort? It was like car accident. And then someone took him in for a while. And, and he like, that's how he got hooked into the cats. Into the wild cats. Yes. No, somebody was. Somebody in this show was. Well, he, he, I think what happened was he was in some kind of accident where he got like hurt really badly and somebody was looking after him and the person who was looking after him was rescuing little like cubs that, that people would buy and just like get rid of because of course, why should you have a 400 pound tiger in your living room? That's just stupid, you know? Right. Um, and that's how he got into it. And right, then, all right. And then next thing you know, he realized he could make money with it and it was off to the races after that. Like everything was just more ludicrous. The, he had alligators, lions, tigers, mostly tigers, bobcats, chimps, 
I mean, all sorts of animals. But like I said, he said, I think at one point in the t TV show, he said he had 227 tigers. So before, before we go on, let me establish the major players in the documentary. And you guys tell me if you think. So the, no, number one is Joe Exotic, obviously with his giant uh, zoo in, in Oklahoma. And I forget the name of the town, Wingard or something like that. Or Kingdom? No. Hold on. Are right, you looking it up? I got the players. I I, I did a list before we started. Yeah, I, I wrote down a He's list. To reference it. Um, okay. It's a good card game. It would be a good card game. <laughs> yeah. Thinking game. Yeah. Oh, no, it you doesn't say right here where it is, though. It was somewhere in Oklahoma. Anyway, yeah. so Joe Exotic, uh, Bhagavan, Doc Antle, right? Cap yeah. Baskin. And then everyone else was kind of a side. Well, some people came in and out, like people that worked for Joe, um, uh, people that worked for Carol, you know. So anyway, so and so what do we say? Joe, Carol, Doc Bhagavan, and then there was the the really redneck guy, Wildlife in Need, Tim Stark. Mm -hmm. He was he was kind of an interesting character to add to the thing, but. The other three are basically the, the three-headed monster of this show. I'd, I'd argue the guy, what's his name, Jeff Lowe? Is it Jeff Lowe? Jeff Lowe, yeah. Jeff Lowe, he's, he's, he's later, though. Comes in. Yeah, he comes in, like, episode five or episode six, like, almost at the end. Mm-hmm. But a big player, once he does come in. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, <laughs> this is... Th this show is really funny, and I guess we'll analyze it later, but to me... The person that was most sy sympathetic, the, the most likable person in the whole thing, besides some of the people that worked for Joe Exotic, was Joe. Yeah, uh, really. You know? Mm -hmm. uh, so he has this big exotic cat farm, tons of cats, 227 cats, he said. Um, and the woman, Carol Baskin, runs an organization called Big Cat Rescue down out of Florida. And her job is basically to shut down every privately owned, I guess, zoo? I mean, what other word would you call it, right? Yeah. Her, 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 her thing, from what I gathered, her thing was more, she was anti-cub, uh, cub petting. Um, yeah, because it was cruelty to animals, what, what she considered cruelty to animals. That was her biggest thing. Cub petting and... Yeah like the uh distribution of the animals once you didn't need them anymore once they'd grown up from cubs shifting them around yes that's a big thing because it wasn't like keeping animals privately because that's what she did and it yeah. wasn't because she also did that it was the cub based stuff that's what really got yes her. yes 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 that because it was episode three that i think that they did her background, or no, yeah. episode two, they did her background, and then episode three, they did the really interesting part about her background. But in the first episode, they basically, what they establish is she basically wants to shut down what she thinks is abuse of animals. She has PETA on her side, and at one point, and then they go to uh, Bhagavan Doc Antle, who has a big place in South Carolina, mm. and he's very polished. He's got he's got everything. He's got apes. He's got elephants. He's got birds. 
He's actually down in Florida as well. Is he? Into this. It's called the Myrtle Beach, whatever, but it's down in Florida. Like it must have originally, his original part must have been based out of Myrtle Beach, but the actual place now, it's in Florida as well. Oh, I didn't, I didn't realize. I thought he was still in South Carolina. I thought he was in. Was, was, it, was it in South Carolina when they did the, when they filmed this documentary? No, I don't think so. I think it was just called that. I think it was just called like the. It's one. Of, I think his place has two names. It's called like the Myrtle Beach, blah blah, and then it was also called like Cats, C A. But it's now based out of Florida. Huh. Okay. All right. So he is the polished guy. He is so polished. In fact, whenever Hollywood needs big cats in a the movie, they used to go to him. Hmm. He was like a wrangler. He's one of these guys that, that breeds the ligers and the tigons, you know, that grow to be like 12 feet when they stand up on their hind legs and are 900 pounds, which, which is just ludicrous. Um, but then what you realize is this dude, and everything is really polished. And in that first episode, they were interviewing a lot in the first two episodes, I think, a girl that used to work for him. And I, I forget her name. And she was talked about her. Uh, um, and at the time already, he had three wives. Or he, he doesn't call yeah. them wives. They're girlfriends. Because otherwise, it'd be polygamy and that's illegal. Um, he has three. He basically runs a cult. And I mean, he was super scary. Because of all the people there, the charisma was oozing off that guy. Yeah, how weird when they first showed him in what the first episode, he even says something like, or did, did he say it or did somebody else say it? Somebody says like he's like one of the most, he's like the most down to earth seeming one. He speaks well and everything. He doesn't seem like a lunatic. Right. Or no right. disrespect to anyone else involved in the, the show. Um, compared to some of the other guys, they basically flat out say like he's the most well spoken one. Yes. And yeah. then you get into the second episode or the third episode or whatever, and you find out that to work for him you get paid what the, what the hell did they say like a hundred dollars a week or something yeah and you had to live the girls that came to work for him lived in like basically like lived in a barn or something yeah and then at one point they're talking about his nickname and his nickname was some fancy i forget i i don't remember at all what it was but they said what does that mean and basically him and a couple other people they asked said it means Lord. So they Bhagavan. called him. Yeah. Oh, Bhagavan. there you go. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they established it in the first episode, like, okay, here's a guy. He, he's maybe the most normal one of them all. And then, bam, not even close. <laughs> right. Because he went and studied with a Hindu Indian mystic in Virginia. And I was like, what? You know, not, not even... Yeah. I mean, to say a mystic in Virginia, it's like, I, it's like ordering fucking French, McDonald's French fries in Namibia. It's like, is this really French fries because it's all the grease? Where's all the junk? Come on. Now, you know, it's so inauthentic. It's, what was it? Uh, my brother-in-law's ex-girlfriend was here and she was from Texas. She was from Houston, Texas. And we drove by a place somewhere in New Jersey and said, home of the world famous Texas hot wieners. And she, she and we, as we drive by, she just literally just got, the fuck is a Texas hot wiener? <laughs> and, you know, we're all like, you're from Texas. Why didn't you tell us? She's like, I ain't never heard of that shit. What, what is that? <laughs> That's how this was. It's like, I said, 
Indian mystic, not in the Himalayas, in Virginia Beach. It's like, what? What? <laughs> and then later on, because they kept on calling, Doc was his, like, nickname. Yeah. And in one of the later episodes, he's like, yeah, Doc is this, like, what, is he a doctor? Yeah, he's a doctor. And I'm like, oh, he went to vet school. So it's like, what's he a doctor of? Mysticism. <laughs> what? I mean, to me, that's almost like a downgrade. Like, if you're, if you're a mystic guy, you're, you know, seeing through people's soul with your pineal eye. You're, you know, uh, talking to demons and gods in the heavens. You're teaching people how to get their nirvana. Now you want to be called a doctor? That just seems such a downgrade. It just seems stupid to me. Like, why? In, there's a whole thing in England. I didn't realize until I came over here. It's a whole thing in England. If you are a surgeon, you are referred to as a Mr. or Mrs. or Miss. That you're not a doctor. That you start off as a doctor, and then once you become a certified surgeon, uh -huh. back to Mr. and Mrs. And it's a big thing that within... Because I once worked for a little while in a clinic, and we used to have this visiting um, orthopedic surgeon who would come in and see people for insurance um, claims for accidents and stuff. And I made the mistake of calling him doctor once and he overheard and he said, he was like, <laughs> he was like, I didn't uh, spend seven years at Cambridge for someone to call me doctor. <laughs> That's like, it literally switches. Yeah. Like doctor was a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah, like, because the NHS and stuff, in England, a doctor is a dude down at the local GP's place who gives you medication for, like, you know, an itchy butt. Whereas, like, he's a surgeon, and so he's Mr. Is like, it's a whole thing. Like, if you're in the hospital and they're like, oh, they're visiting, um, you know, Mr. Mr. Lovick will see you now. It's very like, ooh. Whereas doctor just like, oh, fucking doctor, this doctor, that. The mister is like, that's the real thing. It comes from like 200 years ago when the Royal College of Surgeons in London, they were all like back in the time when doctors were a bunch of like hillbillies who were just like, you know, giving people whatever the fuck, like leeches or like, and, and surgeons were proper gentlemen. And they were, you know, they were misters and they were like, no, we are gentlemen and we do. And it just stuck. Now to be a true mister is like a title, whereas a doctor, any old common man can be a doctor. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. So, okay. So, so then maybe Doc should be called Doc because what a piece of shit. And, okay. So anyway, so Carol's main purpose in life is to shut down these zoos, to shut down Joe Exotic, to shut down Doc Bhagavan, to shut down uh, what was his name, Tim Stark. All these guys that breed cubs, and then because that's where they make the most money, they take these little baby cubs and 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 stick them in front of people to, to take pictures with. And I mean, it's really awful. If, if, you, if you have any kind of sense in your head, it's yeah. awful. Because at one point, uh, I forget which episode it was, the tiger's giving birth and they're literally snatching the kit out of the, the, the den, the tiger's den, and taking it away while the tigress is still giving birth to other kits. And then like, because what did it say? Like, it's a week before they even open their eyes. And he's taking these little kits to like for people to take pictures with. It's like this, this, this cup is like days old. It should be with its mother, and not taking pictures with a bunch of freaking people. Well, what are you doing? Yeah, so, you know the whole thing, the whole setup, awful. 
really bad. Yeah. Her job is to try and shut them down. And for whatever reason, she particularly focused on Joe Exotic. And like we said, he's a gay dude from Oklahoma, loves his, like, walks around with two six shooters on him all the time. Um, he's, he's, oh, a mullet. And, and, and wow, what a mullet. Like, like Joe Dirt kind of mullet. It's, it's really something to see. And he's really bothered by the fact that she is picking on him particularly. So he starts some, I don't know if it was local cable access or whatever it was. And, uh, 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 the reporter, a reporter comes along who used to do all sorts of crazy stuff, like on Fox News, Rick Kirkham, who comes in and he says, signs a contract with him. He says, listen, I'll record, I'll produce your everyday TV show if you give me the rights to all the films so I can make this reality TV show about you and, and all your 227 tigers. And they're going back and forth between Carol and Joe and Doc Bhagavan mostly. They throw in a little bit of Tim Stark here and there. And Tim Stark is, is a, yeah, I got tigers. I love tigers. What about them tigers? I went to Doc Bhagavan and I said, I don't, I don't need to know about animals. You tell me how you control all these women. And, and you're kind of like, what? Tim Stark is, when I saw him pop up, he's sitting there with a monkey on his shoulder. When I saw him pop up, I'm like, he is the guy in the movie about when they all get stranded on an island. Yes. You like, the ship comes to save them like five years later and he stays. Yes. 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 <laughs> no, I'm staying. <laughs> They're like, no, we've got like no food left. We started to eat each other. He's like, I'm staying. <laughs> staying on the island. Right. Okay. <laughs> Jeff was really fatty, so his leg is really marbled, and I really enjoy the flavor. So I'm gonna stay. He's like, he's like meth, Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. So. Carol is focused on Joe Exotic, and she wants to bring him down. Joe can't stand it, so he's really going after Carol. He has this cable access show. He has, like, a blow-up doll, like a sex blow-up doll, dressed up as Carol that he keeps blowing the head off on air with a gun as they're shooting. And I'm like, you're in the studio. First of all, the damage you're doing to the microphones by just doing that, right? I can't even think about, you know? And the guy... Uh, 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 Rick Kirkham is filming everything and he was like this is fucking gold I mean this is going to be amazing when we sell it to a network and in fact that's, that's how the documentary starts after all the credits are done all the crazy credits it's Rick Kirkham at a, at a table in a pub it looks like or a restaurant or whatever smoking a cigarette and the documentarian I forget the guy's name he's off camera obviously and he says so where do you want to start and he was like where do you want to start? And it's just like, you're just like, uh-oh, what's, what, what's happening here? And the whole start, story starts. And what you realize is that with even just a little bit of fame, whoever was watching him on TV in Oklahoma or whatever, it really got to, to Joe's head really fast. Mm -hmm. Like Joe is, Joe missed his calling. He should have been a drag queen. That's where he would have gotten all his adulation because he just, the spotlight, the fame. And then that was one of the things they were saying, all these tiger guys would go to Doc Bhagavan and get all the pointers and tips on how to raise the tigers, how to make money from them. And even like some of his, his hands, oh, what was it? Um, what was the guy's name? 
Eric Cowley. He was the really skinny, like looked like a roadie for Poison, with the hair and shirt uh, mm -hmm. for Joe Exotic. And he was saying, "Yeah, they sent us down to Doc Bagavan many a time, you know, and we like learned how to like how to make money and what to do and how to raise the cats and how to handle the cats and all that stuff." So he was the guy that everybody kind of looked up to because he's been doing it apparently with the cats since the '80s. Now, like we said, he has three girlfriends. We're not going to call them wives. Um, the girl that worked for him in the interview, she was saying they made her get a boob job. Mm -hmm. Like, they didn't make her. Like, they didn't force her. Um, but she said, like, they <laughs> made an appointment for her, and she went, and she welcomed, welcomed it because she was working every day from 8 a.m. to midnight, and just to be in recovery from surgery for, like, a week, was like this like blessed reprieve and she got her cans and she was just like so yeah I'm, i was but she was talking about the whole thing as in not so flowery terms with doc bagava mm -hmm. so, uh carol and and joe exotic very antagonistic towards each other and joe actually went which i was like this guy's got balls and he would take his whole crew from oklahoma go to carol's place in florida and film it and protest there. And uh, and then he filmed her sanctuary for big cats. I mean, when I saw it, I was like, he's got a point. This place is awful. Like, yeah. everything was overgrown with weeds. Like, the animals were in these small cages. It's like, what the hell are you? And, you know, she was like, I, I'm saving these cats. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't think this is what you're doing here if you're keeping them. I mean, if this is just a temporary thing and you're shipping them off to, I don't know, the Bronx Zoo or the San Diego Zoo or something like that, okay. But right now, your stuff is not looking too good, you know? And... Um, well, I've seen... I would, I would add, I've seen a... Um, and if you... It's worth seeing. It's interesting. Uh, Carol, it wasn't her, it was her husband. So Howard, Howard Baskin, he um, put out a video sort of responding to tiger king <laughs> and uh, he basically said in no like, uncertain terms that like i'm doing this video because basically people kind of like me <laughs> as opposed to carol who's getting all this flack everyone's kind of like we can't let that guy so i'm doing the video yeah he's like i'm not very comfortable doing these videos but i'm doing it and it, it, he basically addressed he, his biggest thing was the misrepresentation of them by netflix and was saying that it was very deceiving how they showed this footage that Joe took that was not reflective at all. And Netflix didn't, they, they shot for days and they didn't bother to show any of the, um, the good, the differences, like the good side of what theirs is. So it looks right. like this is this scummy little crap hole. And he showed, he was like, no, look, we have, you know, the area that you film with the weeds is an area that we keep as naturally overgrown because that is what the tiger's, in their natural habitat would be used to we do that on purpose okay. and smallest cage we have it was like 140 acre space and they showed this aerial shot of the areas and it did look like if it was true that they have this huge massive area and the little cages they were showing was like a press thing that carol had taken these pictures for like press to kind of show like a thing like i don't know so well, that's, that's good because you're right. I mean, now that you say it, that, that's an excellent point because they did, they never showed in the documentary what her thing really looked like. All they showed was her bicycling down a path 
and, and talking and, and all of that stuff. So they're getting into a really heated uh, uh, back and forth, Joe and Carol. And she's suing him and he's counter suing her and they're suing each other left and right, all sorts of stuff. And at one point, and I guess it was, and Doc Bhagavan is talking about the whole thing. And he's basically saying he's laughing because Joe is antagonizing her. And at one point, somebody says about him, they did a lot of Doc Bhagavan in the second, and this is where you find out he's got three girlfriends. He's got kids with all of them. They all live on, on site where, where the thing is. He has an elephant that he's had for 40 years, you know, that kind of stuff. And somebody, I think the guy asked, is like, go ahead, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say this is a cult. It's like, come on, I've heard this all before. And when they first go to Doc, it was funny because Doc says, tell you what, why don't I go into the house and you guys come knock on the door and I'll open and I'll say, hey, how you guys doing? And as they go away, the documentarian says like, how come Bhagavan knows how to direct better than we do? You know, it's like, because this dude's been doing basically a show for the last 30, 40 years. Like he, he's, he's a showman. Like all of these guys are showmen. They know what they're doing that way. So <clears throat> it's somewhere in the second episode about Carol and her missing husband. And the documentarian kind of goes, what? He says, yeah, oh yeah. And Joe is Joe Exotic. He's like, yeah, she probably fed her husband to the tigers. And the guy was like, what? And and I should, I would be remiss not to bring it up. The documentarian said the whole thing started. He was doing a documentary on like snake keepers, I think in Florida. Like yeah. I keep all sorts of exotic snakes, venomous snakes, that kind of stuff. And some guy came and he wanted to buy some venomous snake. And the dude had like a martini glass with like literally these little, this little like lime green radioactive looking dregs. And that was the venom from the snake. And the guy said, this is enough venom here in this glass to kill everybody in this room twice over. There had to be like 12 people in the room. And it's like, oh, I want that as a pet. Why? It's one of those things. I'm just like, no, stop. This is just stupid. But anyway, so one guy is there to buy a venomous snake. And he says, oh, you should see what I have in the van. And he goes, what do you have? And they go to the van and they open up the door. And there's a snow leopard in a cage in this van in Florida. Yeah, that was just awful. Awful. Yeah. Awful. And then the guy says, like, and the dude, rightfully, the guy doc, doing document, documentary, yeah. he, shouldn't, like, this cat be a refrigerator or something? Yeah, the dude's like, ah, he was born in Florida, so he's good. Right. Like, he's fine. No. No. He's, he's used to it. Yeah. No, oh, no. It's like, oh, what's the difference? I mean, they roam around and at six thousand feet elevation in the Himalayas in you know February. What's the difference between that and Florida? Only I don't know, a hundred degrees. I mean, it's it's fun. It's, it's the thing that annoys me when I see people that have like huskies and you see them walking around in the summertime in New York City, and the dog's tongue is just about on the sidewalk. It's like, shave the dog or keep the dog somewhere cool. It's born and bred in Alaska. It's not meant to be in Manhattan in August. It's just not. And I've seen people with Newfies and they shave them down. And because Newfoundlands are such big dogs, you think it's a Great Dane. And then you're like, oh no, it's a Newfie. Their owners are smart enough to shave all the fur down. By the time winter comes around, it's going to grow back. But at least the dog has some relief because you're literally wearing a fur coat 
in, in the summer. And they're like, that's fine. It's fine. So anyway, scumbag, another scumbag. So um, Joe Exotic tells the documentary guy that Carol killed her husband and fed her to the tigers. And the guy's like, what? And then that's the third episode. You find out Carol met her husband who disappeared, disappeared. Um, when she was 19, she was already married. Now she gave her story, which was heartbreaking in and of itself. She didn't know she was poor until she was a teenager. Parents lived basically in trailer parks, but they were fundamental Christians. And when she was 14 years old, three guys from across the street raped her at knife point. Awful. I, I can't even imagine, you know, just awful. How her father did not just take a bat or, or his car and run these guys over and then put the car in reverse and run them over again is beyond me because that's what I would do if I found out the guys across the street harmed my kid. Mm -hmm. I'll go to jail for the rest of my life, but I'm putting them in the ground. There's just nothing stopping me here. Nothing. And then she said, because they were fundamental Christians, she basically asked for it. Because if she, I guess she wasn't dressing slutty or like looked like a whore or whatever, this wouldn't have happened. Which, again, therapy. Years of it at this point. It's not just months of it. We're talking years of it. So Carol got married at 19. She had a husband. He was kind of abusive. She's walking down the street. This guy, what was his name? Uh, John... Don, no, Richard Don Lewis. They called him Don. He um, pulls alongside her. She's walking down some avenue in, in Florida. And she, and she says, and she has this very cloyingly sweet way about her when she talks, when they're interviewing her. And everything is very, <laughs> and she's just kind of rolling her eyes. And like instantly, the minute she started talking, like my hackles raised, like I'm just like, like right away, I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to kind of keep to myself and wait until I know 100% that I can trust something this woman says. Because if you look at the way she talked and the way even everything about her is calculated, like every expression, every emotion, everything about her seemed calculated, I should say. Mm -hmm. woman, I don't know. But the way she was portrayed in this documentary, to me, it was, again, another cult of personality. It was crazy. Like, like if I met a woman like that in a bar, I'd be like, you know what? No, I'm, I'm going to the other side of the bar. You can talk to somebody else. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dealing with you. So she says, this guy pulls up and he says, Hey, do you need a ride? And she says, no, wisely. So she's 19. This is a middle-aged dude. I think he was 40 at the time. Yeah. She said he went around and she's telling the story now, no one else. She's telling this story. He went around, came back around and he said, Hey, I got a gun on the seat. You can hold the gun on me the whole time. I just need somebody to talk to. She says, okay. She gets in the car. She takes the gun. She checks to make sure it's loaded, and she holds it on him the whole time. All right, fair enough. And apparently they're just he just needed somebody to talk to. They're chatting. What a way to pick up chicks. <laughs> Am I right? Right, right. I was like, why didn't I think of that? If I thought that worked, I would have done that when I was a kid all the time. I mean, just 
just put a freaking you know 20 gauge on the on the car seat he's like hey hold this to my ear and let's just drive around and then we hope Pulp fiction doesn't happen and we hit a bump and you blow my head off okay so um so she says she went back to i guess a hotel and slept with him that night he's married three kids did you just say awesome no no i said oh yeah Oh, you said, oh, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. And so then she talks about, like, her husband was very abusive and she needed to get away from him. But she is having an affair with this dude for, like, five years. Because she left her husband, when she says, when she was 24. And then is she, that right? She was, so she was still with the, the first husband? She was with the first husband for five more years before she married Don. And uh-huh. Don had a wife. Don was still with his wife. Was that? Was Don still with his wife? Yeah, 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 yeah. So now the other thing you find out about Don, because they're interviewing Don's ex-wife, uh, his two daughters. He had a son, but the son wasn't a part of that documentary at all. Um, they interviewed his ad- admin, Basically, the woman, because he had businesses. Apparently, Don, and the daughters even said it, Don had a wandering eye. He was basically, you know, a, 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 a philanderer, a serial philanderer. And, but for whatever reason, whatever he did, he made money on. And people were saying, you know, whether it was real estate, cars, whatever, he knew how to make money, and he made a lot of it. And so all these guys, and he had a handyman that worked for him. He had a mechanic that worked for him. He had his, his admin. Uh, um, she seemed to be the only normal person in this whole documentary, quite frankly. And, and the, well, well, I shouldn't say that. The handyman and the mechanic, they seemed completely like just legit and normal. Yeah. And they were talking about how much money he had and his lawyer was there. And so the handyman, I think, said he thought Don was worth $20 million. Now, mind you, he disappeared in 97, was it? Or 90, something like that, in the 90s somewhere. Maybe even 91. No, 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 97, 97 or 98, he disappeared. Yeah. Um, so the handyman said he thought Don was worth 20 million in the 90s. I mean, there's a lot of money, you know? And didn't the lawyer, I think the lawyer said he thought he was worth like five to 10. Right. The lawyer oh. said he knew of five, but anywhere upwards of 10. And then they asked the admin and she said it was probably, everything was probably like seven, seven and a half. Which, you know, you're in Florida, there's no state tax. You're in the middle of nowhere. There's a lot of money. Several million dollars. Several million dollars. And I mean, they said he had planes, not a plane, planes, you know, several, you know, it's like, okay. And he, and he got into the cats and he started collecting bobcats. And she said the two of them, between the two of them, they started just buying out all the bobcats and they shut down every like bobcat farm that they were raising bobcats just for fur down. They shut down every farm in America. And um, they interviewed, like I said, the ex-wife and the daughters, and they were pretty much saying she killed him. There's no way she didn't, pretty much. And the ex-wife had a weird, the weird, a lot of people, I've, I've noticed this, it's strange. If you were in your 40s, in the 80s, then you look exactly the same age, if not better now, <laughs> than you did then. The mother, and I said that, and Annie wasn't watching, my wife wasn't watching it with me. 
But I was like, she is a proper old Southern dame because she's better than the daughter. Yeah, the one daughter that was sitting next to her on the couch looked as old as she did. She, I thought, if you did, if they didn't mention it right away, I would have thought the daughter was a mother. Yeah. The mother's face was completely smooth. You know, she had the white hair done, but it was just like, oh my, I do, I do declare. It was just like, this woman looks awesome. She looks way better than her daughter. What is going yeah, at on? At least I would have, I would have thought they were sisters or something, but. True, and it, it was the daughter that was seated, when you watched on the screen, that was seated to the right, but on her left. And when they closed up on her, she had her, she let her hair get gray, but you could see her face was fairly smooth. So it was just like, oh, okay, she's definitely younger. But the mom looked really good. Because if they were interviewing this just a couple of years ago, and Don was 40 in like the 80s, that, that, that puts her like in her mid to late 70s. Yeah. Because her and her husband, like she said, they got married. He was 17 and she was 14. So it's not like they were very far apart in age. Right, right. So she was easily in her mid to late 70s. She looked great. So, I mean, I think everyone's taking the wrong thing away from this documentary. What they should be saying is, what's her routine? Because she looks amazing. That's what I think people should be taking away from this documentary. So, and yeah, his whole family is, was pretty clear that they thought that she killed him. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, Joe was the one pushing it. He said, the first was he said he fed it to the Tigers. <laughs> and, and Joe apparently made a bunch of country albums. And at first I thought he hired somebody to do it, like did a Milli Vanilli and hired somebody to sing over the songs. Because compared to how he sounded when he talked and compared to how he sang, it was two very different. Because when he talked, he kind of talked like this. And he was just like, I don't know about this. And then he's singing, he's like, well, I've been with cats tomorrow, and I'll be with them today. And he's just like, wait a minute, where, where, where the fuck did Elvis Presley come here? Where's Squeaky? What's going on here, you know? And he made, I forget the name of the song, but he made a song that basically showed Carol feeding the, her ex-husband to the tigers. And he found a Carol Baskin lookalike. So much so, this was the freakiest part that I thought she did the video with them. And I was it like- It didn't look exactly like her. I mean, find that. I mean, when Joe comes out of jail, he should be a casting director. Cause I was like, holy shit. Like this woman literally looked like her twin. And I couldn't believe that this wasn't like, I, I literally initially thought like, I was like, I was like watching the screen like, what? It's like, she did the video with the guy? They're like suing each other, what? And it's like, oh no, we found a lookalike. I was like, that's not a lookalike. That's a fucking doppelganger. I think yeah. it's a glitch in the matrix. And I think the answer is someone a few years ago, perhaps in the seventies, gathered all the glitches they could find in North America and just shoved them into Florida. <laughs> it's just a collection of glitches in the matrix. <laughs> you know what? That makes sense because Florida is America's wang and they're just waiting to get this out, right? <laughs> that, that's all that's happening. So, so he made this video, it's like Kitty Cat something it was called, and Bhagavan Doc Antle was talking like, it's the best thing Joe ever did. It's like, if you haven't seen that, you got to watch this video. It's the best thing Joe ever did. So, um, and then the other theory was that he, she killed him and buried him 
in the septic tank under a house on her compound. And so they go back to her and she's like, my daughter moved into that, that house was built and my daughter moved into it before my husband disappeared. That's just stupid. And you know, like kudos to her is like, all right, yeah, you guys are being stupid. How would they have done that? You know, it's a septic tank. Who was it that, um, was it the detective? They had some detective that was talking. I don't know if it was him or not. Somebody was like, they should have run the meat grinder for DNA and they didn't. That was the daughters had said that. Okay. The daughters had said that, they said that he, they ran him through a meat grinder and fed him to the tigers. And she said she had a little kitchen size meat grinder that was about that big. She said, <laughs> and this is the thing about Carol. Everything she said and did was calculated. When you saw the old footage when her husband disappeared, the way she cried, it's like she was a theater person. She mm -hmm. knew where the light was, she knew where the camera was, she knew when to bite her lip. She, she, all, all of that, she knew when to do. And I was just like, this woman is a full-blown psychotic. It's like, there's just, the way she, everything is calculated. And, and when they said she fed that to the meat grinder, she was just like, and she said like, if I was going to put him through, I couldn't put his hand through the meat grinder. And to me, all I heard in the background was like, I tried. It would have taken too long. It, I tried, but no. And it was just, it was just crazy. And the detective was like, we had a lot more leads that we wanted to follow, but legally we couldn't. And the whole thing with the husband was supposedly he had, he had a property in Costa Rica and he used to go to Costa Rica and bring just like $50,000 in cash wrapped in like sweaters to give to young girls to sleep with them in Costa Rica. And he wanted to move the whole park with all the cats to Costa Rica. And she didn't want to do that and they had a big fight. This and would make a good double bill with the McAfee documentary. What's that? This would make a good double bill with the McAfee documentary. So I'm telling you, dude, we find some good documentaries. Andrew, if you're not seeing it, you should watch it. The, the John McAfee documentary. Yeah. You Great. told me about it. No, I haven't watched it yet, though. There's but... a crossover there with him. He's still running for president. Is he still? We should, we should cover his campaign managers and all. <laughs> his campaign team? Oh. His campaign team looks like extras in the new reboot of Mortal Kombat. It's just really just like bad. It's really bad. great. It's really great. It's worth it just for that. Yes, exactly. So, uh, so the secretary basically says, and everybody says it, the, the, the admin, uh, Don Lewis's admin, he trusted her with everything. She knew she was the uh, power of attorney for both Don and Carol, and she also had the wills for both Don and Carol. And she said when Don, the, the, the mechanic first said the odd thing, and he said, or was it the handyman? I forget who said, I think it was the handyman. The handyman said, if I can pull this off, it'll be the slickest thing ever. Don said that to the handyman. You're right, 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 right. Don said that to the, the handyman was saying that Don said that to him. And then he disappeared and the admin, she was worried sick. And then she called Carol and she says, he's been gone nine hours. He wouldn't be gone this long without whatever, blah, blah, blah. And Carol said, oh, do you think we should call the police? And it was the only time you saw the admin get angry, like in the interviews. 
and she was like, you think he's been missing? You think maybe we should call the police? And she was very, very obviously trying to be as neutral as she could be in all the, all the interviews. And to me, it was like she was the only real one concerned about where Don was. Um, Don apparently had a truck work done by his mechanic the day before, and his van, it was a van, the van was found at the airport, and it had his keys and his briefcase in it, and no Don. And they looked for him, the cops got involved like 48 hours later, I think, after he just yeah. Because, like, that's the standard limit. And then th that was the interesting thing that they said. The uh, handyman said they left the van in the airport and then they brought the van back to the big cat rescue place and then came back four or five days later and checked it for prints. And it was kind of like, um, what? <laughs> Why wasn't it checked for prints at the airport? You wow. know? So that was the whole thing. And then you find out on top of all of that, that Carol's brother was a sheriff's deputy at the time her husband disappeared. And what prints are you going to find anyway? Like, I was saying this when we were actually watching the documentary, and I, don't, I, I can't remember if this is real or not, because I watched a lot of shit. But I, I, I feel like, I feel like I watched somewhere they said that we all have a very skewed uh, idea of how forensic science works because yes. of CSI and yes. all this stuff we watch on TV. Yes. And especially when it comes to fingerprints, fingerprint evidence very rarely, if ever, get, comes to a conviction in court because it's really difficult to pull off. Because unless you just have like an item that someone touches like with a nice firm print and then no one else touches that thing. Right. You can dust for and find a complete print. You can't convict anyone with a partial print. And the second you have another print, whether it's your own finger or someone else's finger or something going on top of it, it completely fucks it up. So cars are almost impossible to find clean prints on because it's right. just a collection of prints and hands and smears. And every time you touch something, you touch it again, you wipe your print off. Like, but, but whose prints would they even want to find, though? Right? Like, if it had his, it had his prints on it, it was his car. If it had his wife's prints on it, she was, I'm sure, in his car at whatever point. You know what I mean? Unless it was like they found the prints and they ran them, and it was like some known hitman or something. Right. Well, well, that's that's the whole thing. I mean, the idea was inside of the van, it's not going to be a stranger, and if they find strange prints inside the van that's that's the lead because mm -hmm. canic even said they came and talked to him and it's like your prints are on the van it's like yeah i worked on the truck like two days before he took it and two days before he disappeared of course my prints are on the van mechanic, right. you know and, and to your point sean um exactly it, unless there's just a clean print but that's the whole thing the whole procedure is you shut this thing down you cover this thing in in fingerprinting dust and you look it over and that's why it's so frustrating and tedious, and that's why there's a whole different division that does it as opposed to detectives, because otherwise they'd never get any work done if they had to sit there with a brush and, like, brushing every freaking square inch of a surface of a van, you know? So, 
So the big cloud of suspicion over Carol is that she off the husband. And you're like, okay, you know, the guy for the documentary, he's building up this case. Everything is so far circumstantial. Joe's spinning a big yarn, but he has a personal stake in it because he doesn't want her suing him because that was one of the things they said, like Doc Bhagavan was talking about that, that Carol was really, really smart. And she realized was that what the internet was in terms of business before mm -hmm. somebody else did. And she said it at one point, and I forget which episode it was. She said when she like made a Facebook page for it, and then you get all the crazy, you know, all the crazy cat people and all the crazy animal people. And she would like ask for donations. And she said like Facebook would give her a $25,000, $40,000 check once a week from all these donations coming in. And you're like, what? And I will point out that everybody that works at, at her big cat rescue is a volunteer. Yeah, she's not paying anybody. <laughs> no one. Not a fucking person. Yeah. And she made a big point of shit saying that Don wanted to disown his kids and not leave him any money. And she talked him out of it, say it's not about the money. These are your children. You're going to want to save some money for your children. And now the one, the one thing to me which made – go ahead, Andrew. Yes. No, I was going to say, this is probably what you were just about to say. The, I don't know. that we didn't, we didn't mention this. Uh, I think it was the assistant, Don's assistant, said – right after he went missing or somewhere in there she like came in and took the wills yes and she she did something i forget remind me I, I, i'm not remembering all of it but she no, did exactly. something where she re, basically redid them right what were you saying sean i'm saying that the power of attorney had under like there was an addendum and it said uh death or disappearance no 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 no, no, no. that's that was the thing. that was the whole thing when he disappeared, Carol went with her brother, the sheriff's deputy, to Don's trailer that served as his office to get the wills. Now, the other thing I forgot to mention is Don came to the assistant two days before he disappeared, and she said he was looking kind of funny, and he gave her a piece of paper. He says, if anything happens to me, I want you to hold on to this. And it was basically he was asking for a restraining order from his wife because she was getting dangerous, and she had a gun, and she said she was going to kill him. Because he wanted to move all the cats to Costa Rica, and she didn't want to go to Costa Rica. And so he he disappeared. Wife and the uh, the wife's brother, Carol and her brother, came to the cut the uh, chains off, which set off the alarms. And when everybody showed up there illegally, they had every right to do it because she was the wife, and he was the one that was gone. And she she went in, she took out the old wills and the old power of attorney, and she put her own in. Mm -hmm. And Don got declared dead legally by a judge five years later, because I think that's the legal limit. Yeah. And the day after that, they pulled out the will, or, 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 or either that, or that was the day that Carol went and changed the wills out. I, I forget now. And Carol's will, and it said it was prepared by Carol, the will, said in case of death or disappearance. And the lawyer was even like, and, and, and the guy, the documentarian, he was like, you ever heard of anything like that? And he was like, I've been doing law for 37 years. I've never seen this in a will. Did it even say death? Or did it just it say, say death? No, no. Death. It said in case of death or disappearance. And I mean, I've prepared a will. I've seen my parents' will. I've seen my in-laws' will. I've seen my brother's will, you know, because I'm put on as, a, as, a, as a, a, either power of attorney or, or a beneficiary or whatever. And the standard lawyer's thing is, 
in case of an accident, like you prepare and, you know, you get run over by a car or, or a piano falls on your head or something. Or in case of death, you drop dead because, you know, you were beating off during COVID and you hung a belt around your neck or something. I don't know. Something like that. I'm just, I'm just t talking about a friend. I'm not talking about myself. Um, so, but never, ever have I seen in case of disappearance. Ever. Yeah. I mean, and, and I saw an article actually, like the new sheriff who was a narcotics officer back when the dude disappeared and he's now the sheriff. And he was like, yeah, that will is very suspect. You never see. Go ahead. We should note this is what brought me to this. When I think you were getting on to this already earlier, um, his family, so the the ex-wife and the daughters, the ones that we were talking about earlier, they got what was it? Do you remember? I don't remember the percent, but basically ten percent. Yeah, she she redid the whole will. They yep. got ten percent. Carol got ninety percent of his millions. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the documentary taught us. Yes. So, or so the documentary told us. So, um, so, and, and Doc Bhagavan talks about it. Like she totally killed him. And they're like, well, what'd she do with the body? And he's just started laughing. He's like, are you kidding me? Do you know how much a tiger eats? <laughs> he was just like, and he said, I spent $10,000 a year feeding each, each tiger. And I'm just like, what? And then they go to Joe, and Joe says, like, I spent $3,000 a year feeding each tiger. And I was just like, oh, my God. And the thing, and another thing that I think people are not taking away from the documentary is the poverty that exists throughout America. Yeah. Big cities, in the suburbs, in all the wealthy suburbs, people don't realize how piss poor people are. And people are always like, oh, how come Trump got elected? It's like, go see what these people live on. And they showed Joe, and one of the ways he saved money to feed all the big cats, the Walmart donation truck, which was whenever, whenever somebody picks up a steak or a pack of hot dogs or some bologna and brings it to the front and you can't pay for it, and then you leave it there, that gets tossed in a dumpster because it's not legally supposed to go back on the counter. And so they would get this truck, and they show all the people working there. Now, this was, to me, a plus for Joe. They were interviewing all the people working for him and he said, why are you here? And it's like, well, it kept me out of trouble. Keeps me out of trouble. The other guy was like, he kept me from drinking. I have a job. I have something to do. And like, like you were saying earlier, he's paying these people a hundred bucks a week. So, so like literally like 20, 30 bucks a day, you know? Yeah. So all these people, all these misfits that, you know, kind of, and somebody said, and the guy, the documentarian, the the rick the the reporter rick kirkham the producer and he said like they're all misfits they're all you know he found the place and later on they even show it some woman's at a gas station somewhere and somebody's at a bus stop somewhere i said like there's a dude there he's been at the bus stop for two days and two nights maybe you want to go check it out and joe would come over and he said look if you need a job i can give you something i'll give you like you know, 20 bucks to start whatever and so think about it like new york metro area somebody gives you 20 bucks to start what what am i well, that's gonna get me across the river that's about it you know it's like what's what's 20 bucks gonna do but in oklahoma that'll last you a while and, yeah. and that's one of the things i i don't think and it's like my wife was pointing pointing that out because she lived in texas for a few years after college it's like 
people just don't realize how little people have outside of the big metro areas. I don't, I don't think they, they, they understand. And, and this was actually, I don't think the, the guy for the documentary glossed it over. I think that's why he kind of pointed it out and showed when they were going through the meat for the Walmart thing and the head was like, oh, this is still frozen. And all of them, their heads turned like they were freaking prairie dogs. They were all like, oh, we get, we get free meat. We got free meat. Yeah, wasn't it like Joe let them get first dibs before they took everything else for the, for the animals? Absolutely. Because we're taking spoiled, not necessarily spoiled, but expired meat. Yeah. yeah. Out of this thing to eat. Um, and most of them were, most of them, a lot of them were, you know, reformed uh, convicts or, you know, had been out of prison or like you said, drugs or alcohol or something like that. Yeah. And it seemed like Joe, and I'm sure some of the other guys that did it too, they, they sought these people out and then um would give them a job when basically no one else would and then get them almost in a cult mentality not that they painted joe's zoo at all like a cult but almost like they have no way out like yeah. this is the let me give you an opportunity when there are no other opportunities and i therefore now have a a, a loyal um employee for as long as i want yeah. i can pay them as little as i want and ask them to work as much as i want well they had they had the the girl, what was her name? Um, the woman lost her arm? Who lost her arm because a tiger lunged for her arm and she went to pull it out and ripped all the skin off her freaking forearm. And she, she was talking about like going for surgery. Saf. Saf, yeah, yeah. And they're like, uh, well, listen, your hand's going to work. It'll be about two years of uh, physical therapy. And it was she's two years of reconstructive surgery, right? Well, between the reconstructive and, and, and the physical therapy, it'd be like two years before she could really use her hand properly. And she was like, just take it off. And a week later, she came back to work for him. And they had a video of her just lying on the ground with just like this like bloody stump uh, hanging out of her sleeve. I, I don't know if you remember. And then like they went to him and he's like standing there. He's like, I'm never going to recover financially from this. And so... <laughs> There's a great shot of him going into the gift shop because <laughs> the cameras are on him the whole time because they're filming the reality TV show, right. which is such a shame that that is never going to exist because the guy's right. He would have made millions off that in, in that time, like in the world of like keeping up with the Kardashians, like if you had that show, the Tiger King or... Oh. But him just walking into that gift shop and just like there's like this tubby kid looking at like keychains and he's like, he's like, okay, everyone, I think you better be the first to know you're going to hear about it anyway. Had a bit of an accident and uh, Keeper got their arm bit off by a tiger. <laughs> now you can have a refund. That's right. <laughs> and they're just like, <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. That's great. You can you can have a refund, or we'll honor your ticket another day. It's like what? Like what? Uh, that's right. I totally forgot about that. There's the angles to this. Then there's the fact that Joe married a dude, and then a young guy who tattooed "Property of Joe Exotic" like right above, like right above the treasure trail there like right below the belly button, like where the pants hide it. Wow. Then another guy came along, was it Travis? 
Yeah, I think so. Who was like 6'6", like suntanned, California skater boy. But it seemed like his mom worked for him, for Joe. And that's how Travis came to know Joe. And Travis was talking about like, oh, his big feet and his big hands. And as long as Joe gave him like weed, he was fine. And then they had a marriage ceremony where the three of them got married together. And it was just like, whoa, okay. I see online, I saw a link today. It's on YouTube. You can watch the full wedding, the three-way wedding of Joe and his two husbands is on watch with him commentating. Joe commentating on his own wedding video. You guys, I got an idea for our next episode of the podcast. I just heard from a friend of mine. Oh, I thought you were going to propose to us. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) The entire wedding for Joe Exotic and his two husbands is available on YouTube. Believe this. (laughs) Yeah. um, I I forgot. It was just, it was just, all of it is so crazy. So the main parts are Joe fighting Carol the whole time. Carol has money up the wazoo because very obviously people donate to her week after week. She doesn't pay anybody anything. And I guess she just pays food for the animals and that's it. And she's got millions from her dead husband. And she's got millions from her allegedly disappeared husband. (laughs) Um... So they're talking to Doc Bhagavan, they kind of went into him a little bit, and, and you just see how he treats the women there. And it's like hit one of his wives, she's like, she works every day from eight to 12. And he's like, that's not too much. She said, but I love what I do. It was like, what are you doing? And then they show him like just dressed scantily and, and hitting drums and like being in a pool with a tiger. And but I will say, I mean, I don't know whether it's factual or not, Doc's operation was waste liquor and everybody acknowledged that mm-hmm. i said earlier all of these guys went and trained with doc because doc just had it down pat like what to do how to do it all of it i will say one thing there was i think it was only in one episode but there was one guy who was kind of like a, a, a big cat guy who i honestly think was the most reasonable and sensible one of all and he was a reformed criminal he was with he was only in one episode you remember this dude he was um he was like a cartel guy or like a a mafia guy i don't remember if he was italian yes yes inspiration for tony montana absolutely i totally forgot oh i gotta get another drink i'm so excited now go ahead talk (laughs) but yeah he was they showed him talk and he was like the most normal sensible dude he was like at one point they were talking about somebody getting murdered and him going to prison because they killed this dude and everything. And he's like, yeah, I, yes, I knew about it. I wasn't the one who actually killed him, but I did my time and here I am. Now yes. I like the cats. <laughs> what was his name? I got, I got to pull up this list I got. He's on here. Um, yes, I remember, Mario. Mario. I remember laughing about it because you're right. He basically was a drug runner for years with his father, went to jail, and he was just matter-of-factly talking about, listen, I didn't kill the guy, but what am I going to say? Your Honor, I didn't kill the guy, but I was there when the dude took the circular saw to his neck and cut his head off, and I was just like, and he was talking about it like, I'm going to get a drink, I'm going to put some ice cubes in this, and I was like, what? And then his wife is there, and 
and he knew Joe and he knew Doc. And, and, and like, cause they all would buy tigers from Joe more or less. Cause he bred them like crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're right. He was the only one that seemed normal who, you know, spent 20 years in jail for drugs and murder. <laughs> Just like <laughs> He's the most down to earth dude in the whole documentary. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Completely. Oh man. I totally forgot about that guy. So, so, so yeah. So where are we? So we're now, the losses are getting real, and uh, Joe, yeah, Joe owes her. What was it? The, the they she won, right? She so won the lawsuit. Joe, Joe had to give her a million dollars, or a million, yes, yes, which she didn't have. Which she didn't have. So we're already. I'm trying to think if this is when that happened. No. Um, so now, every once in a while, they go back to what was his name. <sighs> Uh, what was the first guy who was his first husband before, like... Uh, oh, hold on. I'll find him. Before Travis came along. Was it John Finley or something like John that? John Finley, yep. John Finley, yeah. And they would show John Finley, and he bought him trucks. Joe Exotic bought him trucks, and he bought him, like, a pink crossbow and pink machine guns and RVs and, machi- you know, and all sorts of stuff. And it's just like... And he has teeth missing, and it's just oh, like... Wow. Uh, like serious summer teeth. Yeah, he has like two teeth in his face when he's smiling. And um, Travis, <laughs> there, and he loves Travis, and he takes everybody's last name because first he was Finley, and then he was uh, Malden. That was Travis's last name. And then mm-hmm. the guy that he married was, uh, what was his name? Um, I didn't put that name down. But he was the young guy at the very end. That was he married like he married him literally a week after freaking Travis. Well, let me let me get to that point. <laughs> it's a wonderfully beautifully romantic story. <laughs> how, he, how he wooed Travis in the first place. If you yes, that's right. Came in and he was like, he's like, hey man, you're a big beautiful man. So are you? Uh, so you straight? Are you are you all the way straight? Are you a little bit gay? And he's like, oh, I don't know. And he's like, well, let me ask you a question. I ask everybody. When y'all watching porn, do you like to watch the guy with the little pecker fucking her? Or do you like to see the guy with the big dick coming at it? He's like, oh, I like to see the guy with the big dick. He's like, well. <laughs> and, uh. I'd say you're not all the way straight. <laughs> and then that was it. That was the... It's it's a romance for the ages is really what it is. Yeah. Until we find out several episodes later that really he was only there because Joe was giving him math, right? <laughs> weed. Mostly weed. I thought it was math. Don't it was... Joe Joe Finley, you're right, was meth, or John Finley, what was his name? John Finley, yeah. Yeah, John Travis Finley was, liked meth, but but Travis was like weed. Now, he, he did the coke, he did the, you know, they did, like Joe kept all of them in drugs whenever they wanted it. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, um, so let's see. So at this point, all the lawsuits going back and forth, Joe can't keep his mouth shut. He did stupid shit, and basically Carol's got him by the short and curlies. Now we're already, uh, no, 
Oh, Joe decides he's going to run for president. Yeah, that was the thing. Joe decides first. No, was that president before governor? Yeah, president first. That president first, then governor. governor. Yes, right. Which is so funny. I didn't realize this at all watching it. But remember, they cut to that John Oliver clip. Yeah. I don't know if I saw the John Oliver clip or what, but I definitely back in when would that have been? What was that? Twenty sixteen. Yeah. I can remember it, whether it was a John Oliver clip or just that clip on its own, actually seeing that and being like, this is someone who's running for president. I never put the two and two together until it got to that point in the show, but I definitely saw that at the time. Yes, yes. He ran for president first. Um, and he got a camp- his campaign manager. He found his campaign manager in Walmart. He was the weapons... He was the weapons counter manager at Walmart. Is there, you want to run a campaign? I was like, this is my dream job. This is what I've always wanted to do, run a presidential campaign. I was just like, oh, and apparently the way to be a presidential campaign manager is by working in Walmart. Cheers. Okay, got it. Oh, yeah. What was his name, the campaign manager? Joshua Dial. He seemed like a fairly regular guy, and he was just like, I knew Joe was out there, but I, I figured, what the hell, let's, let's run the campaign. So they ran the campaign for president. Before that, he meets... Jeff. The, 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 what's, what's his name? Jeff Lowe. Yes. Jeff Lowe. Jeff Lowe comes along. That's right. Uh, what's her face? Carol Baskin <coughs> has Joe by the short and curlies. <laughs> 